Hi, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, April the 12th. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about a big new public corruption indictment, and thank the Lord, the legislature going home. I'm joined, as usual, by Max Brantley. Afternoon. So, former Republican State Senator Jeremy Hutchinson, who, of course, is the nephew of Governor Hutchinson, was indicted in federal court in Missouri this week for taking pay from a health provider in return for legislative influence. This came as part of a broader action that reaches the top of uh, an, a nonprofit that's been at the center of a long-running public corruption probe. Well, you know, I thought after I wrote this yesterday that this was kind of one of those USA Today satire pieces where you say one American killed, oh, also 400 French people killed. I mean, I think the real news in this indictment in Springfield this week was finally getting the Gosses, Tom and Bontia Goss, the founder and two of the top two executives of Preferred Family Health Care, which had been through several iterations as a provider of various health care services, mental health, behavioral health, substance abuse, that sort of thing in five states. And it had grown to where I think the federal government has said maybe $125 million in federal money flowed through their various agencies. Incredibly uh, rich agency. Are we going to be able to make it through this? uh, Let's pause for a second. Where I was. Well, what I was saying was is the indictment this week in Missouri, the big news was finally getting a couple of people at the top. There have now been... 15 or so people indicted out of uh, bribery and kickback and illegal spending charges against various iterations of preferred family health care. And we did know back when they indicted Jeremy Hutchinson the first time on tax charges that the investigation continued into whether there were crimes and the fact that he was paid a tremendous sum of money, maybe $350,000 in supposed legal fees by preferred family health care. But that was really just a cloak for paying him in return for legislative services, getting legislation passed, beating bad legislation, that sort of thing. He said all along this was legitimate legal work. Well, there's not much evidence of that. And, and the latest indictment includes some memos from top people saying, no, Jeremy's not, not our lawyer. He's a, quote, consultant, unquote. Well, so in a funny way, although this was an 85-page indictment, we really knew the outlines of everything already that was revealed here. We've known the outline of this for a long time. This company made a huge amount of money off providing uh, Medicaid-funded services, and uh, they feathered their nest by paying bribes, by making campaign contributions, which they're not allowed by law to do as a nonprofit, by taking legislators on uh, trips to fancy places, by living the big lives themselves, owning a lot of resort property, flying private jets, flying their dogs around on private jets. It's really kind of a scandalous thing. And so I don't think we learned a lot more. There are a couple of more references in the latest indictment to other unnamed legislators and former legislators who assisted in some of the legislation that preferred family health benefited from. Doesn't mean they committed crimes, I want to say, but they certainly helped them along the way. I guess one of the biggest pieces of speculation out of 
Jeremy's latest indictment is, will he now start cooperating with federal authorities as a means of earning lighter treatment for himself, and that is give up still more people in this ongoing probe. It's not over with it yet, that much we know. Uh, through his lawyer and through his father, the former Senator Tim Hutchinson, uh, Jeremy Hutchinson says this is all a put-up job and he's an innocent man and he's going to fight it all the way. We'll see. So one question, why, why do you think it took so long for them to get the gosses? You know, well, I think they finally have enough people cooperating that they now think they have enough people in the web <clears throat> to make the case against them. I, I, this is utter speculation on my part, but, for example, there was a former state employee who went to work in the in the uh, Goss's operation, a guy named Robin Ravindran, a neighbor of mine, I, I have to say. He was director of, uh, I think, Program Integrity, it was called, an expert in the social services field of Medicaid. He's uh, facing a state Medicaid uh, fraud charge in Batesville for operation of a, of a agency up there. Uh, he's not identified in this indictment, but the, the res- description given of a person nine, I think it's called in this indictment, certainly fits his description from past, from past filings. And so you might, you might speculate that people like him, uh, who's not yet gone to trial and who's not yet facing a prison term might find it in his interest to spill the beans about everything he knows about the internal operation of this, of this company, which included, check passings and deposits in which he was involved, in which money was washed through accounts to pay people in ways that appear to be illicit. And so when you get it, we know Rusty Cranford, who was a very high up, is is cooperating with the prosecution. Uh, he is perhaps <laughs> the worst of the worst in terms of a guy that you can challenge his testimony as coming from a, a crooked sleaze. But uh, the, you get enough of these people. Uh, they've got Mike and Neil went to the courthouse early. We know there are at least three people. There's some other lesser players that have been indicted, uh, accountants and what have you. Eventually you get enough of them. You can make the case. And so I, I think going after the Gosses was a big deal and maybe, but Jeremy, Jeremy provides titillation for Arkansas watchers of this, for his potential to, to point the finger at some other Arkansas legislators. Okay, and and we still have the uh, the other uh, unrelated, probably corruption scandal ongoing uh, involving Gilbert Baker and um, right, and that's you know Mike Maggio's cooperating, and we're still waiting to see if some shoes might drop. Well, do we know that Mike Maggio's cooperating? Well, he he was brought down here during the time immediately preceding the indictment of. Uh, of Gilbert Baker, and he withdrew his request for his conviction to be overturned based on some legal argument or another. And I think the presumption is, uh, yes, he's cooperating. Okay, well, uh, lots lots to get, continue to watch for. I think there's there are a lot of nervous people. <laughs> there are some people who we know have associations with preferred family health care who've been in the Arkansas legislature who reportedly don't seem to be as chipper as they once were these days. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Well, the General Assembly went home this week. Uh, there were some fireworks at the end with critical help from Speaker Matthew Shepard. The House 
passed uh, a bill that will punish cities that adopt policies that, crucially, the attorney general deems sanctuary for undocumented immigrants. Yeah, this is just such junk, you know. But but Arkansas is a state where I think the the majority political sentiment is is that. Uh, the immigration problem is as bad as Donald Trump makes it out to be, and you never lose any points politically by kicking immigrants around so they have this sanctuary bill. Well, there's no declared sanctuary city in Arkansas. There are some cities, Little Rock, that have done some things that, that, that unfortunately, I think under the way this bill is written, because it's written so badly, could be called a sanctuary policy. One of them is that it's informally the practice of the police, it, because it's the law, really, that you can't just ask people what their immigration status is because they speak Spanish and they have brown skin and have a name like Jose. Uh, that's one thing. Another thing that is a more tangible thing that's an expenditure of public money is this ID card program that is is passed out at the Mexican consulate and other places, and it's to give people a way of identifying themselves who don't have driver's license because if you're an illegal immigrant, you can't obtain a driver's license. And so that's viewed as uh, Lance Hines, a city director, is mortally offended by this program, to name one, and he testified in favor of the Sanctuary City Bill for that reason. Well, as this bill is now written, somebody can complain to the Attorney General of Arkansas who's a avowed a, a foe of, of immigrants, uh, herself, Leslie Rutledge, and say, I think this is an informal sanctuary policy, and I want you to do something about it. And in some manner, she can review this. There's no procedure set out except it gives her the power to do it. And she could determine that, yes, that's an informal sanctuary policy, and therefore discretionary grant money should be withheld from the city of Little Rock. As David Whitaker, who's a lawyer and a member of the state representative, pointed out, there's there's nothing like, number one, there's no constitutional authority for the attorney general to be a fact finder. That's not her role under the Arkansas Constitution. There is no due process procedure, something even Governor Asa Hutchinson has, has acknowledged as a terrible weakness in this bill for somebody accused of having a sanctuary policy. There's no appeal process if you lose your money under this thing. There's no way to go. You could go to circuit court, but how? You There's no record of the proceeding by which you've been you've had your rights stripped away from you. It's just a mess, and it's just immigrant baiting. And Was it a mess in a way that its constitutionality <clears throat> could be challenged or just a bad Well, day? I don't think it can be challenged until somebody has standing to challenge it. And, and so I, I don't think you can just go and say, strike this bill down. I think you're going to have to be somebody punished by it, I think, to challenge it, which is one problem. And so the governor, in, in an act of sheer political cowardice, says he's going to sign it, even though he, he acknowledges it's, it's a piece of junk. Uh, he said the sponsor, Gary Stubblefield, has promised he'll take care of this at some future legislative session. Well, what, in two years? It's really shameful, but but it's a safe it's a safe thing to do for the Republicans, and they and so they've done it. Sad, it's sad, really, and it, it and it was funny they passed it, of course, on the very day that the governor did something good, which was sign a couple of bills the legislature did pass. One that allows DACA, uh, the Dreamers, to qualify for a nursing license in Arkansas, even though they don't have permanent legal residency status. 
and another to allow DREAMers to qualify for in-state tuition at Arkansas colleges and universities, long overdue and, and welcome. The, the artifice here by which they can do this while punishing immigrants otherwise is that until the policy that Obama put in place is reversed, DREAMers are in theory legal residents of the United Well, they are legal residents. They're not citizens, of course, but uh, they, we, we passed this policy that said if you came younger than 16 to the U.S., of a of a parent, even an illegal one, that you had legal status here if you were a resident, which which they are now. There are lots of people in the same shoes that haven't gotten dreamer status because they fear that would reveal their parents are illegal, and they'd be deported. Uh, and given the tenor of the times, I can understand that. You know, we've had this development, this crazy development today, in which the Trump administration denied that it was ever serious about dumping. Uh, detained immigrants in sanctuary cities and then Trump announced on Twitter today, yeah, I'm serious about that. I'm going to show those people in San Francisco. I'm going to dump these this refuse on their shores. It's As Carl Lubsdorf wrote in the Dallas Morning News, it's just like the reverse freedom rides of, of the 1960s when the segregationists in Little Rock said, well, we'll pay to send black people to Hyannisport, Massachusetts to get them out of the South. I mean, what what it embodies is a, is an absolute disdain for human beings. It's a, just a that what, what it represents about how Trump views immigrants and how we view humankind in general is not not very flattering portrait of us, but that's what's going on. We talked a lot last week about a bill that would have extended state control of the Little Rock School District by as many as four more years. It cleared uh, Senate committee last uh, last week uh, after being defeated once and, and seemed headed toward potential passage, but Somewhat surprisingly, it was defeated in the Senate. Yeah, it, uh, it was the, what, in the House committee? No, it was defeated in the Senate with— Oh, uh, defeated in the Senate, yeah, right. Yeah, with uh, a number of uh, staunch Republicans opposing it. Well, what finally happened was not sympathy for Little Rock, but it illustrated the power of the, uh, of the education lobby in general. And, and, and I think that—, that the, although, wait, I'm, I, I'm confused here. I, I'm getting the voucher bills. This wasn't the voucher bill. Yeah, this I'm, was the I'm extension. Conf- I'm confusing those those things. Well, I think that what happened is uh, the some of the Republicans from smaller towns feared that you know something like this could happen to their districts down the line. Oh, right. And no, I that's that that's what it was. It was not a vote for Little Rock. It was right. it was some some organization of the rural schools and the school administrators and saying if they can do this to you, they can do it to anybody. And so that was that was something of a surprise that that happened. Yeah. Well, but it's but, not, it, but it's, it's not good news for Little Rock. It's not the salvation of the school district. No. no. Uh also, somewhat surprisingly, the House committee failed to approve a bill that was aimed at preventing any government from altering, moving, or removing Confederate monuments. It's another bad idea from uh, Senator Mark Johnson. Yeah, the son of the f- most famous segregation of our time, Justice, the late Justice Jim Johnson. And it was about Confederate statues, although the bill was written in such a way to say it was about history in general, and they dragged out an old lady who is in the War of 1812 Society to say she wanted to protect her monument, but it was about Confederate statues, and, and everybody pretty well admitted it. 
Well, the, you know, the Arkansas Municipal League uh, and the Association of Counties, uh, who are both very powerful lobbies, joined in the effort to beat this bill, too, because it was so broad. I mean, it, it, it prevented you, it made it very difficult to even move something or fix something, and it covered buildings, and it covered street names, and it covered schools, and I mean, times sometimes do change, and, and, it, and it put in the hands of some state commission a decision on whether you could or could not get a waiver from the law to make a change in something deemed historic by somebody else. It was just a bad bill. And again, it was a solution looking for a problem, to, to my knowledge, although I might wish otherwise, nobody's trying to do anything about our many statues around the state. Uh, and some of them could use some thinking. I mean, for example, could could under this bill, the Little Rock School District decide as part of its continuing reorganization and declining enrollment, decide to close the David O'Dodd Elementary School, named after the boy martyr of the Confederacy. I, I don't know if they could under this. They'd have to get a waiver, have to go through some process. So anyway, times change, and, and we, just don't, we just don't need things like this on the books. And, and, and once again, there was just sort of a general lack of understanding about how we came to have some of these monuments. But because of the uncertainty about application of the law on cities and counties it failed to get out of committee and it was yeah something of and partially because some people took some strategic walks i should notice but didn't yeah. really declare on the bill but but a defeat's a defeat I, i'm not one of those that that is going to demand people stand up and cast a vote if not being there is the same as a no finally there was another piece of legislation that got through at the last minute to help the tobacco lobby well, right, and it was, I want to say, on the last day of the session, they passed this 50-page bill that changed some of the rules of the Tobacco Control Board. I, I don't think yet anybody's demonstrated there's an immediate, an immediate meaningful, harmful impact from this bill, but it, but it showed the might of the tobacco lobby. And you basically got the head of the state tobacco control board, who's now on Governor Hutchinson's transformation team, who's essentially a tobacco lobbyist. He was out there doing their bidding on this bill. It, one of the things it did is the Cancer Society pointed out that it exempted, it, it deleted from the law some requirements that the, the board look after safe workplace conditions and vape shops or places tobacco products are sold, and also required childproof packaging on vaping materials. Those were eliminated. Well, the response was, well, we're not really enforcing that law anyway. So, oh, well, okay, we ought to take it out. And we, so we had a state agency saying, well, we're not enforcing the law. And, like, that was okay. That was that was not a problem. Uh, it made some other tinkering with the bill. But in any event, it was they tried to pass it without even a committee hearing in about a 12-hour time period passed it anyway without much of a peep in either the senate or house and this was strictly tobacco written legislation by and for the tobacco industry carried by andy davis among others who was who's been a reliable supporter of the tobacco industry they had a good session and at a time when tobaccos are tobaccos in low esteem and there's some concern about an epidemic of, of growth and vaping which is supposed to be less harmful than than tobacco but nobody really knows for sure yet uh they got away with no regulation no taxes they uh got exempted from some some law on 
on in terms of local legislation about smoking under the guise of helping fighting cancer at UAMS, and they put the tax burden on the marijuana smokers. It was a, it was a real display of power by the tobacco lobby. Okay, let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. What do you got this week? Well, I, I'm going to endorse Memphis. I, I, I drove to Memphis last weekend to meet my brother. He lives in Tennessee, so we met halfway and got together for a day. And just a just a, a string of pleasant pleasant happenings. We went to lunch at a place called Paulette's, which has been in business in Memphis for 40 years. It used to be in Overton Square, and they relocated – down to Harbor Town, this development on the island and the river. It's this kind of new town in town. And, you know, it's a nice little Frenchy sort of restaurant, great popovers at lunch. And then we went to a long delayed visit to the Stax Museum of American Soul Music. That's great. And it is, it is knocked out fabulous. I mean, the video is great. The music is great. The artifacts are great. Isaac Hayes' car. Isaac Hayes' Cadillac. I mean, it's just, it just brought, of course, it's my rich spot timing-wise. And, and so there was that. I mean, I would recommend to anybody to go and sp- the good opening film is great. It's just, if you like Otis and Carla and Rufus and Sam and Dave and, and Steve Cropper and and the Memphis Horns. I mean, it's just an orgy of good times. I, I recommend it to anybody. Then we went we went out and stayed in in, in a motel, a Hampton Inn out in Germantown because we wanted to go to Trader Joe's. And Trader Joe's is always fun. I you know you can't go wrong passing through Trader Joe's and buying a cart full of junk, which we did. But we had dinner. The other thing I want to recommend is we had we had dinner at a little place. There are two of them in Memphis. One's near Germantown and one's on Poplar, just just east of the Loop. And it's called Las Tortugas Deli Mexicana. So good. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's a modest place. It's not fancy. Tortugas. I don't know what it means. They for it's a sandwich for one thing. They make and I had the shrimp sandwich. I think it's the tortoise, and it has something to do with the look of the tortoise. Like it looks like a tortoise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is the deal. But it's it's just unbelievable. Every single thing, salsa, guacamole. But if you go to Las Tortugas, get the elote, the steamed corn which is uh, it's a Mexican street food thing of steamed corn with some mayonnaise, with some cotilla cheese and some ch- chili pepper. It's, it's just unbelievable. It yeah. was it's just the, the care of every, like every, everything is homemade. Every single is thing is homemade. Yeah. And the guy, the Potter Familius, maybe his name's Pepe, takes your order at the one we went to, and he talks to you, but he just tells you all about it. You order at the counter, then sit down, and, and don't grab a seat first. You got to, I mean, on a Saturday night, it's busy, and you might have to wait, but it's it's just, it's an experience. Yeah. I, I recommend it driving to Memphis to go to Las Tortugas. A lot of folks in my co- cohort who go over there just to go to Ikea to get kids furniture right right ikea is nearby it's there a, too right good, good stop in this place so did you ever get uh a music streaming service like apple music or spotify no i still haven't done it well i'll tell you one one reason to do that is at least spotify has every volume of the stacks singles uh box set so there's three volumes and each of them have about nine cds so hundreds and hundreds of songs and there's so many singles that you either didn't hear because they weren't that big 
um, or you've forgotten about that are so good. Yeah, well, that's the way I felt walking through there is I just so many songs. Yeah, some good stuff. Uh, I'm going to endorse a podcast that I just got turned on to. It's called Dissect. It's something that Spotify produces, but it's available on all podcast platforms. And the premise is this guy who I don't think has a reputation beyond this podcast. He's a, 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 a He was a music uh studies major maybe in in graduate school Uh, so he is is a a trained musician and can talk about chord progressions and melodies and notes and and all that and gets out his piano and explains things but anyway this guy dissects an album throughout uh, the course of one season song by song and uh, you know does a deep dive into lyrics and meaning and and then talks about the the production of the songs He's so far done only contemporary R&B and rap stuff, uh, which is good for me. He that season I'm listening to is all about Frank Ocean's um, Channel Orange and Blonde. If you like those records, which are very good, I would encourage you to check them out. Thanks for listening. Subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, and we'll be back next time. See you later.